The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. First, a prayer. Daniel is a remarkable man. At, at this point, he's probably 18, 19 years old, but he is a man of God. He is a man who has been taught well, who's learned well, who has a very unique, deep heart for his God. And what's happened here, and what I want to share to begin the message, is I want to share a prayer of rejoicing that he shares in verse, beginning of verse 20. Daniel, as you know, all of the wise men were going to be executed because they couldn't uh, tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was and what it meant. And Daniel is stepping in on the, by the grace of God. And what's happened is God has revealed the dream to Daniel through the night. And he wakes up in the morning. And he gives this amazing prayer. Listen, beginning of verse 20. Daniel answered and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my Father, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. The one thing I want to just say before we continue is that the same God who met Daniel's need is the same God we have. Amen? And he is the same God who works in the very same ways. So let's look at this chapter and and find out what it is about Daniel that may not be true with us. At the end of uh, Daniel chapter 1, we see that God gave Daniel three things. He was a faithful man. He did not um, defile himself with the king's food. And so God granted Daniel wisdom beyond the wisdom of the Babylonians. God granted Daniel influence beyond any in that kingdom and health resulting in long life. However, when we move into chapter 2, it appears that all of that is in jeopardy. We find that each of these things could could perhaps not come to pass because of the king's decree. At the end of this period of training... Daniel was presumably uh, graduated into the company of the wise men uh, that Nebuchadnezzar referred to as magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers in Daniel 2, verse 2. But we need to remember that he was still only about 18 or 19 years old. He would have been low man on the totem pole. He wouldn't have been the first one they went went to for advice. He was just the youngin' at the back of the pack. In the, in the company of Daniel, uh, he was, as far as Nebuchadnezzar was concerned, not even one to be considered. And this chapter that we're now in is about the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so he's going to call on these wise men to interpret the dream and to try to give him understanding because he not only had the dream, but he forgot the dream. Now, although Daniel's gift 
were disregarded. Although he was not consulted, and although he was on the verge of being exterminated because of the king's decree, Daniel was wise in the crisis and became absolutely and completely the key role. And he did it through this situation of the trial. God brought an amazing trial upon him. And yet it was through that trial that his leadership flourished. God brought Daniel to the forefront. You can't say that enough. Because all through the book of, the, of, the, of Daniel, it is God who is bringing his sovereignty to the forefront. In fact, the sovereignty of God is the connection between these chapters. It, in chapter 1, God gave Daniel wisdom, influence, health, and long life. And now in spite of all that, now in spite of the fact that Daniel's life is, is in jeopardy, God fulfills what he promised. And how? By being sovereign over the details of Daniel's life. And being sovereign over history, which is what the theme of this book is. So understand this. If God does not control our lives from the actions of kings and others in position of power to the most minute circumstances, then everything in life is uncertain. We are victims of circumstances with no choice, and whatever happens will happen. But if God is sovereign, as the Bible says he is, and if he is our God, if the promises he makes and the actions he takes are certain fulfillment, then we can be confident of the future and know that he is able to change our lives that we might be able to please him. And this is a critical lesson from the book of Daniel, that all the details of my life are in his hands. I can live my life according to his will because he has made it possible. Every single detail of your life, the good, the bad, the unknown, the fearful, everything is in the hand of God. So let's look at the king's dream. Daniel 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Nebuchadnezzar was not the first monarch to have a dream, and he's certainly not the last. But Nebuchadnezzar's dream was very unique because his dream was given to him by God. Nebuchadnezzar's dream had been given to him by God even though he did not know who this God was. And because it had been given to him by God, it was an accurate revelation. It was prophecy of important events to come. Unfortunately, Nebuchadnezzar could not remember the dream. But he had people around him who were supposed to be able to help him with this. People who were supposed to take care of matters like this. So in Daniel 2 verse 3, he announces, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Well, the astrologers replied in Daniel 2 4, 
Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Now, let me just hop out of the message for a few minutes to share something that I think is quite interesting. Beginning with verse 4, the book of Daniel changes from being written in Hebrew, which has been the case up to this point, to now Aramaic, which continues to the end of chapter 7. For most part of the Old Testament, or most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and of course the New Testament in Greek, but there are a few exceptions, and this is one of them here. Now this is why this is so important. For one thing, it suggests that the earlier portion of the book, uh, chapters 2 through 7, which dealt with the things that happened to Daniel and his friends in Babylon, concerns Babylon and was therefore recorded in the language that they would be able to understand, the people of that land, while chapters 8 through 12 are back recorded in Hebrew. And this is very fascinating. In other words, Daniel expresses God's concern for both people. So it's fascinating to realize that the things that happen in Babylon are written in Aramaic so that the Babylonians can understand it. And then when he moves back to Hebrew, it goes back to Hebrew. But there's more to this. After the Jews returned from Babylon, the common language of the people was Aramaic, which they learned during their 70-year exile. And the use of the two languages by Daniel is therefore strong argument for the genuineness of this book. Daniel comes under attack all the time. He's been accused of being written after the events and not really a book of prophecy. But this is one way that we can find out the the, uh, legitimacy of the book. Anyone writing afterwards is certainly not going to change languages in the middle of the book. So it's just an interesting thing to throw out. Now, let's, let's go back to where we were. So it was now time for the astrologers. And they said, tell us the dream and we will interpret it. But Nebuchadnezzar ignored them and began to grow angry. Look at verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dreams and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Well, now they're starting to get a little antsy. And in verse 7, they said, they answered the second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. Now, see, they both had a point here because the astrologers argued, how are we supposed to tell the dream if you don't tell us? How are we supposed to interpret the dream if you don't tell us? Nebuchadnezzar, on the other hand, said, if you're true astrologers, you ought to be able to divine what the dream was. So they've got this impasse going back and forth. So then we come to verse 8. The king answered and he said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. And so the astrologers replied in verse 10, 
The Chaldeans answered the king and he said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For the great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. Now notice this. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not in flesh. Now, isn't that interesting? They are saying that what he is asking is way above them. It goes to the gods. Now, no one can reveal this. However, there is a God who does reveal himself to men and who would later say in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. You see, God does speak. God does reveal his will. In the Old Testament, he spoke to his prophets. But guess what he does in the New Testament? He gives us a volume of 66 books. He gives us a recording of all the things that he wants us to know. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. So the reality is, just like Daniel, when you and I are in God's word, eating it, feeding on it, praying over it, the Holy Spirit will lead and guide you to the truth for your life. Do you realize there is nothing in your life that's needed that God won't guide you to through his spirit? This is why we're always talking about surrendering to the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to live through you. Because just because Daniel was in the Old Testament and we're in the New, it doesn't matter. God wants you to know his will. Now, there are times when we're not sure. There's times of uncertainty for sure as God is working in us to trust him. But ultimately, when he has a plan for your life, he will guide you to that truth. And he will make it clear just like he did with Daniel. So in this case, God would reveal what he was about to do through Daniel. And the stage was now set for the first great revelation to Nebuchadnezzar of the reality, the wisdom, the power of the one true God. So let's look at the effectual fervent prayer. Daniel had not been a part of this first confrontation. He was too much a junior wise man to be even considered. But when the command came out to execute the astrologers, Daniel, unfortunately, was part of it, and his life was given the death sentence as well. Daniel and his friends were going to be taken to death row. And at this point, Daniel reveals an astonishing measure of faith, particularly for a young man. He went to the king and he asked for time so that he might interpret the dreams for the king. So here's this young guy, as I said, 18, 19 years old, wet behind the ears, junior wise man, no experience. And he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, give me a little time and I'll do it. Where did Daniel get that kind of faith? Where did Daniel have the faith of God so strong to be able to go to Nebuchadnezzar and make that statement? 
Well, obviously, it came from God. But it also came from Daniel's understanding of the Scriptures, understanding the promises to Abraham, understanding all the things that were given ahead of time. And not only that, he would have known about Joseph. He would have known about the dreams given to the, to, to the servants of Pharaoh and the, and, the, and the main dream given to Pharaoh. He would have known all those things that were going on. And so he had tremendous faith. Their situation in Babylon was similar to Joseph's. And moreover, when Daniel appeared to Nebuchadnezzar to explain the dream, he answered as Joseph answered Pharaoh, giving full glory to God. And one of the things I love about this is that in the midst of a life-threatening situation, Daniel will continue to give glory to God. Daniel 2, verse 27. Daniel answered the king and he said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the vision of your head is as you lay in bed are these. Now, we're going to look at that in more detail next week. But what I want you to see here is that the, the circumstances here between Daniel and Joseph weren't entirely the same. Pharaoh knew his dream. He told Joseph what it was. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember and gave Daniel nothing. So from human standpoint, Daniel's situation was, was way worse. But only humanly speaking. For man, it was an impossible situation. But for God, it was no more difficult. The secret of Daniel's great faith is that he had his eyes on God just like Joseph. And do you realize that when you and I keep our eyes on God, we can have the same wisdom. We must be honest with ourselves. Do I keep my eyes on Jesus? Am I focusing on him through every life situation to know that he is guiding me to all truth? Or am I quick to take matters into my own hands or, or get mad or frustrated or you know, just want to go off? He has promised to guide us. That night, Daniel called a prayer meeting. And the effectual, fervent prayer of these righteous men availed much. God revealed the dream to Daniel, and the next day, Daniel revealed the interpretation of the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. So we see a great prayer of rejoicing. If we were telling the story, we would probably want to rush to the interpretation to tell it. But instead, Daniel gives us the prayer that he made upon waking which we read at the beginning of the message. Why is this inserted here? Well, I'm sure for one reason, because it's how it happened, and Daniel has recorded it. Daniel was so struck by God's goodness in answering his and his friend's prayer that he could not escape praising God. That's the one reason. But the theme of the prayer is also the theme of these opening chapters, the sovereignty of God. 
Therefore, it is a commentary on why Daniel had been able to act as he had acted and to interpret the dream, which is yet to be interpreted, but how he was able to go to God with that tremendous faith and know that God would give him the interpretation. Now, the prayer has three parts to it. First, there is praise to God for two of the most important attributes, wisdom and power. This means that the prayer begins with adoration, as all good prayers should begin. The Bible, or the Babylonians of this day, the Babylonian community was the seat of knowledge. It was where all the wisdom, all the earthly wisdom was. Daniel and his friends had been brought to Babylonian and trained in that wisdom. But now, this earthly wisdom had been shown to be inadequate. Nobody could tell the dream, and nobody could interpret it. The second attribute for which Daniel praised God's power is, is, is in the sovereignty, and which is, again, the theme of the book. Nebuchadnezzar thought himself sovereign, and so the conflict was about to be settled once and for all. And as the story unfolds, Nebuchadnezzar, at great length, subjects himself to God. And if you recall, we mentioned last week, getting into chapter 4, that God called out Nebuchadnezzar, and he was set out into the wilderness like an animal. He actually fed like an animal, and his hair grew long, and his nails, and he just acted like an animal for a period of time. But when the time was done, and his sensibility came back, listen to what he says in Daniel 4, 34 through 35. At the end of the days, I... Nebuchadnezzar lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? What an amazing confession. God had shown who the real God was. And Nebuchadnezzar can't deny it at all. What an amazing testimony. There is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The important thing is to be able to confess it with your heart now and not wait to the point where you're on the other side confessing it out of a reality of a Christless eternity. The second part of Daniel's prayer is the acknowledgement that although all wisdom and power are God's, God nevertheless imparts both wisdom and power to mankind. Look at verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. He is in control of everything situation, even the ones we're not too fond of. No doubt, the greatest portion of wisdom 
Wisdom for spiritual things is reserved for God's people. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural person or the unsaved person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, their absolute foolishness. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When you're a child of God and have the Holy Spirit within you, he reveals truth. You can have understanding of all things. You can have understanding in your life. You can have understanding in direction for your life. You can have understanding in the spiritual needs of your heart. You can have understanding in everything that's going on in the world. You don't have to get bent out of shape by what's happening in the world because you know there's a God who is decreed and is controlling every step of the way. This makes all the difference in the way we live our lives. When we know that God and not man is ultimately in charge of all my circumstances. He knows all things. Finally, there's a third part of the prayer. The prayer praises God for the wisdom and power he had imparted to him personally. Look at verse 23. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Now, have you ever had an experience where you were really praying for something and God answered that prayer and set you in a direction and you knew God had guided you? Do you remember how euphoric that was? to feel that God had really led me? This is what he's done for Daniel. But the thing I want you to understand is this, this it could be a daily occurrence for all of us when we truly surrender to him. You and I have not been given Daniel's special ability to know and understand dreams because that's not the way God operates today. But wise as Daniel was, <clears throat> we have a wisdom greater than Daniel had. You realize that? You and I have a wisdom greater than Daniel's. And you know what it is? We know Jesus Christ. We know that Christ has come and that he lived his life and hung on a cross and shed his blood to pay for our sins. You and I, unlike Daniel, looking forward to a Messiah coming, we look back and know he's come. You and I have the absolute assurance of our future. You and I have the assurance of our salvation. You and I have the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Our wisdom is greater than Daniel's. Consider this verse talking about Jesus, Colossians 2.3. In whom, talking about Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Folks, there is nothing that you need to know that you can't find in Christ. There is absolutely nothing that you need that can't be found in Christ. There is nothing that gets in the way of it but you. The question is, in looking at all the incredibleness of this man, do we want to be Daniel's? 
Do we want to be willing to say, Christ, here I am. Do with me as you please. And know that what he does will bring glory to God. He is such an amazing, loving God because he didn't just set us apart for eternity. When you became a Christian and Christ dwelled in your heart, from that point on, your eternity has begun. And he is guiding you step by step, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, to guide you into his plan. The greatest joy that you and I have is the confidence to know that he loves me and will never let me go. Is that your relationship this morning with Christ? As you sit here this morning, do you have a relationship that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is guiding you every step of the way? That you know that he is the sole focus of your daily life? Are you able to take the trials and the frustrations of life, the defeats, the successes, the fears, and just throw them aside and reach out like a child and say, Jesus, here I am. You be glorified in my life. That's the key message of Daniel through the whole book. The theme is the sovereignty of God. God knows history and God guides it. But in that sovereignty is you. You are part of that sovereignty if you trust him as your savior. May God impress upon our hearts the reality and the necessity to let go and let God be God and enjoy what he has for us. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you now and rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, as human beings in our flesh, Paul made it clear, we wrestle, we struggle. As Paul said in Romans 7, the things that we should do, we don't. The things that, that we would do, or the things that we should do, we don't. The things that we wouldn't do, we do. Oh, wretched man that I am. We know we're weak in our flesh. But praise God for chapter 8, that there is a spirit, a spirit who has satisfied those needs, and a spirit who is within us to guide us. So we know that when we sin, it is no more I, but sin that dwells in us. But you're there to forgive and to hold us and to love us. We'll mess up. We'll make mistakes. But when we look to you, the arms are still wide open and your mercy can never be overcome. None of us who trust you can ever fall out of your grasp because we're sealed until the day of redemption. And so, Lord, give us the strength. Give us the internal desire. And if it's not there, may we just get on our knees and pray for that, Lord, that you would take control. Thank you for the amazing things you've done. And may we thank you and praise you for the things you will continue to do. For it's in Christ's precious name we ask. Amen. God bless.